Welcome to the Financial Coconut Podcast Network, the leading personal finance podcast network in Singapore. I'm your host, Reggie, aka Your Chief Financial Coconut. And every Tuesday, you will be spending more time with me and my friends as I take you through some of the leading ideas out there in the personal finance space that I find interesting and worthy of your time. I've decided to name this segment First Dips, hoping that you and I can get first dips on some of these leading ideas. Hey, Coconut! So yes, Malaysia, truly Asia, has finally launched their own digital nomad visa. So when I got the link, right, actually it was my co-founder sent me the link. I said, hey, you can apply for this. I was like, oh my goodness, now I don't need to do all the visa runs anymore. But yes, Malaysia has created their own digital nomad visa. And today we're going to talk about it and how does it stand against some of the other more popular ones like the ones from Bali and the one in Portugal, right? So to give you a little bit more clarity and idea, but interestingly, interestingly, I think the discussion for digital nomads have shifted, right? So it's no longer just about all these people that, you know, take Fiverr jobs, create content, do all the digital, digital kind of work, but also people like you would have full-time employment, right? You have full-time employment, but your company is okay with you just working remotely and being anywhere. Malaysia Visa is okay with that. So yeah, for all that and more, stay tuned. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So good morning, everyone. I welcome you to another day with the Financial Coconut. In our podcast, Brewing Financial Myths, discovering best financial practices and discussing financial strategies that fits our unique life. You get it. Ultimately, empowering us to create a life we love while managing our finances well. I'm your host, Reggie, aka your Chief Financial Coconut. Welcome to my Tuesday segment, First Dips, where I try to bring you through and uh, give you some first dips line to what is some what is interesting things, what is happening in the personal finance world, and maybe a little bit beyond like the digital nomad world. So I am very interested in this space. I've been a digital nomad for like many, many years, and I really want to share with you this latest happening. Malaysia is releasing their own visa. Awesome. So for all of you long-time listeners, you would have known that I actually live in KL, right? So I live in Subang and uh, I proudly say that I'm the next Subang mayor, right? Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe I am the Subang mayor. So you don't know, you don't know, right? One day, one day, you know, and, and recently there's been people that ask me, hey, how's life here? How do you do it? Is there a way to go about doing it? So more and more people are considering life like that. Nomad, you know, digital, don't need to be fixed at one place. So I think the world is shifting and uh, it's very interesting. But even if you're still on the fence or you have full-time employment, I think it's okay to, to kind of explore uh, the development of this space. You know, how are governments trying to attract you? Even if you have full-time work, like full-time work, and then you want to do this whole like sabbatical or you want to take like a remote arrangement with your company and let them know, like, hey, how about, can I take six months off re- working remotely? 
right? Hey, that could be a thing, right? You, you can keep a full-time job but request for a three-month remote or six-month remote, right? You don't need to fully take a sabbatical but you can do remote, right? And then with that, then oh, some of these visas become extremely interesting. But before we dive into Malaysia's own digital nomad visa, I, I just want to put it out there that actually, you know, Portugal is a super popular place and uh, there's this whole website called Nomad List where you can just go there and see all the interesting ideas, the interesting development. I think Bali recently had a visa. I know a few friends of mine are just kind of like lounging at Bali now. So there's a lot of all these kind of development. It's not just unique to Malaysia. And I think more and more Singaporeans uh, can open up our minds and you re recognize that the world is huge. There are many other places that you can explore, especially if you're a young millennial, right? Just trying to hustle your way through and yeah, all that, it's, uh, it's, a, it's an option. It's, it's a thing, it's an option. Uh, but if you have family, ah, don't worry. If you have family, I've also considered your circumstances. <laughs> so I will be sharing with you some pointers slightly later in the podcast, yes. But some people ask me, so how is life like in Malaysia? I was like, uh, life in Malaysia, mm, I would say I don't live in like KL, KL, right? So KL is like horrible, la, if you ask me, right? So... Some people ask me, hey, why you shift to KL? I was like, no, I never shift to KL. Why would I shift from Singapore to KL? Horrible. Because KL City in the middle of KL is very expensive, unnecessarily expensive and very not convenient. Uh, very dirty, very dusty, right? And, and okay, that's being said, right? Singapore is not that clean. Huh? Singapore just looks clean. Okay, that means there are no litter on the ground. Yes, uh, there's a lot of green, looks very clean. Yes, looks vibes. But, but every time I come into Singapore, I have a lot of pimples. Right? Some people say, uh, of course, you overwork, right? I never, never wash your face. <laughs> Maybe, maybe, partly true. You know, very busy, very, very, every time I come to Singapore, it's like a battle. But more importantly, actually, Singapore has a lot of cars relative to the space, right? So there's a lot of dust, there's a lot of industries around, you know, that there's all these kind of pollutants in the air. So it's actually not that clean. If you look at the PSI, it's perpetually, you know, like 60, you know, it's, it's not that, it's not that clean. Not as clean as what people want to believe, but it looks clean, right? And of course, KL is also horrible, you know, because it is, is a phenomenon of all big cities, okay? Even though it may look clean, no la, no rubbish la, no, very green, all that, very organized. But because there's a lot of cars, a lot of people, a lot of energy usage, there's just a lot of pollutants in the air. So, you know, it's not clean in that way, lah, at least in my view of things, right? But I do live in the more suburby side of town. So you can imagine my place to be a little bit like a Serangoon Gardens. Ah. A bit a bit like a Serangoon Gardens, right? More low density, more relaxed. You know. Yeah, it's just kind, kind of chill. I like it. Yeah, so for all of you that live in the West, um, Chestnut Drive, lah, maybe, or like Beauty World. Oh my God, I love Beauty World, right? So, so it's a little bit more backward, a little bit more laid back, uh, suburb kind of space although like more and more big buildings are being built but you know if more and more big buildings are being built one day I may tell you I shift to another place already right so the idea here is I do live in the suburbs and I like the, the way I live now right so even as I make more money or even I've got bigger clients they, they want to pay me more great good continue to pay me more very good but you know uh, will I want to shift back to Singapore and be part of the city thing maybe not now right eventually maybe I will come back I don't know uh, but yeah as of now I'm very happy doing this whole like suburby kind of thing you know which, which I know a lot of people do that right? at least in other countries that allows them to do that. Right? I've, I've met many people that, you know, I, I have some friends in the UK and you know, they, they have some clients in London but they live in Manchester, right? So every time they come down, they just do their thing and then after they go back up, right? And you, you see a lot of the Taipei, Taichung, Tainan situation also, right? So a lot of people, they go to the big city, they make their money, they do their thing and then after that, they go back to like the suburbs or the kampong and I think that's the beauty that I'm enjoying my life with. Uh, it's up to you, your choice, right? But at least now, Malaysia has opened up this choice for more people, 
right? <laughs> with this digital nomad visa. Time before this visa, um, Singaporeans get to stay 30 days. Okay, Singaporeans get to stay for 30 days in Malaysia and by 30 days, you have to leave, right? So because 30 days is visa-free travel, you're a tourist, by 30 days, you have to leave. So what happens for me is maybe about 20-something days, then I'll start to text some friends, hey, are you in Singapore? Want to meet? Blah, blah, blah. And then I'll be like, okay, then I'll head down to Singapore, stay there for about a week, and then I'll come back for another 30 days. Right? If sometimes I don't want to go to Singapore, I can always go up to Thailand. So I go to Hap Chai, go to the border. You know, take a train from KL Central to Padang Bes, 150 RM. It's not that expensive. It gets, gets you to the border and then you take a bus to Hat Yai. You know, just have fun, do the Thai thing, you know, night market, all that. <laughs> or if you could just, or you could just fly. Like KL is like super convenient in terms of like cheap flights around the region. So there's a lot of options here to, to leave, you know, but sometimes it still gets a bit tiring. Lah. So very happy that there's this option and I'm going to share with you all today about the Malaysia Digital Nomad Visa. So I have three points prepped for everyone. And so point number one about this new visa is that you need to make an annual income of more than 24,000 US dollars. So that's about 2.8 thousand sing dollar a month, okay? Which technically for most Singaporeans shouldn't be an issue because uh, our median income is 4.4 thousand. And if you tune in every week, okay, we have done multiple surveys on all of you. Thank you for participating on our random polls on Telegram. And as I create content for a few years in the personal finance space, I also realized people that actively consume content in this space either are on a trajectory of accumulation, trying to do a lot and, you know, uh, grow their wealth and all that, or have already have some sort of money sitting around. That's why they are very active in consuming content like this because they got money to manage. So, so I would believe, I would believe uh, most of you coconuts tuning in are above median income or at least around median income, okay? But of course, in the world of digital nomads, right? That means you compare across the world, uh, 24,000 US dollar a year income is actually quite steep, okay? It's quite steep. Uh, because for context sake, okay, compare. So today we're just going to compare Malaysia, Bali and like Portugal. Right? Why Portugal? Because it's like, the mecca of like digital nomad at this point in time, right? They are creating a lot of visas to try to bring in nomads for a few reasons. Like one thing is they have a lot of excess surplus right? in, in terms of living capacity, in terms of space, you know, because a lot of Portuguese, they cannot make good money in Portugal. They left, right? So they go work in bigger places like Germany, like France, like the UK. So they leave, right? Similar for the Italians, uh, but Portuguese just somehow have kind of rode on this thing. And yeah, Portugal is kind of kind of convenient in that sense because it's like in the middle of the Mediterranean, right? Or it's like around the Mediterranean region. So what happens? Huh? Let me just give you a small little story. What happens is a lot of digital nomads, they will hang out in Portugal. Like that could be their home base, whether it's in Porto, wherever, you know, they, they want to be. They hang out in uh, Portugal. And then during winter, when Portugal gets a little bit too cold, what happens? They move, they move uh, south. So all of them move south to somewhere like Egypt. Right, so Egypt is like hot spot on like during winter, right? Because it's not that warm and yeah, it's it's pretty affordable relative to other places and it's within the area, right? So they have they, it's kind of created this like a seasonal bird culture, <laughs> you know, like birds, right? Right, a season change, they move, right? So digital nomads are kind of like that. It's a thing. So uh, I I do think I do believe that that's a big part of why Portugal is is very popular lah, and of course relatively affordable. And yeah, the government has embraced it because uh, partly because they they are not able to attract any kind of industries into their place at this point in time. So uh, one easy way will be to attract people with jobs, lah, right? They can pay, they can spend, they can uh, revive the local economy. So that is, I'm pretty sure that is a big chunk of how a lot of these governments are thinking, similar to Bali and of course now Malaysia. 
Malaysia is a bit different uh, because Malaysia has industries, right? Got oil and gas, there's manufacturing. Malaysia has like Proton, right? So I know a lot of people joke about Proton, right? Like who drive Proton Berdua, right? But actually a whole Malaysia, a lot of people do that. But more importantly is you need to understand the complexity in building cars, right? So once you understand the complexity in building cars, then you realize that this whole car supply chain can be separated to build other things. Right, like windscreen can be used to build glass, right? And uh, it's like solar panels. Right? So there are a lot of other things that this supply chain can be repurposed for. And that's why Malaysia still has a very strong manufacturing line. Okay, so Malaysia does have industry, so I kind of understand why they price their visa in this way, because they don't need they don't need to be that cheap. Okay, so interesting, huh? So for Bali, Bali is very, very cheap. You just need to prove that you have $2,000 US dollar in your bank. You can, you can apply for the visa already. $2,000 $2, US dollar in the bank, you can apply for a visa and it's also a 12-month visa. Very cheap, right? Very easy. That's how a lot of people are there. I get it. Portugal requires you to have a minimum income of 8.9,000 euro a year. So that is 12.5,000 SGD a year, about half of what Malaysia is expecting you to have. Right? So I think... That is pretty much the, the base idea here, right? Malaysia is not like a cha country. There's industries, there are manufacturing, there are oil and gas, there are all these other things. Like, come on, they, they are selling Maoshan Wang at like, what, super crazy premium. So that, they, there is a lot going on in Malaysia. So that's, I can understand why they charge at this price. But relative to other places, uh, it is steep. Lah. It is steep relative to other places. But I do believe uh, most Singaporeans should be able to do it. Lah, huh? Should be okay, okay? But how do you go about proving that you make 24000 US dollar a year? Two ways. One is you can either prove using an employment contract. Okay, in other words, let's say today you um, work for the bank. Okay, let's say you work for one of the banks and somehow your management is like very liberal, open, like, wow, okay lah, go ahead lah. You know, like remote is fine. Uh, we have bank branches in Malaysia anyway, you know, which actually they operate separately, totally different, separate entities, you know, but, but whatever, right? So let's say you work in an MNC or a big size SME that is open for you to do that. All you need to do is to show that you have an employment contract. Okay, that huh, is a non-Malaysian company. Because if you think about it, right, if you're employed by the Malaysian company, the Malaysian company should like, <laughs> should like register you as a foreign employer, not as a remote worker. Okay, so, so I get it. Huh? So yeah, you just need to prove that you are fully employed and your employment contract shows more than 24000 a year. And easy, well and good, you can get this visa. Okay, and if you are someone like me, like you're a content creator, you're a freelancer, you do like UI, UX design, consultation, you um, make money with sponsors, e-commerce, whatever, uh, what you can do is you can kind of pull together some of these small little client contracts and uh, just need to show that you can meet this target. That's it, right? So, and uh, what they did say here is your contract should be about more than three months. Right, so I don't think they, they want to use those kind of like one-off arrangements and all that as a valid point. You know, but to be very clear, these things are negotiable as long as you have show, as long as you can show that over time you have this income, I do believe that it is okay, right? But contracts about three months, I think uh, that's what it is, right? So that is the reality of the baseline income for the Malaysian Digital Nomad Visa, which the proper name is D Rantau, right? So D-E-R-A-N-T-A-U. Okay, don't ask me what is Rantau for my Malaysian friends and uh, Malay listeners or people that can understand Bahasa, please tell me what is Rantau. Okay, <laughs> so yes, it is what it is. So yeah, I think that's the idea here. And uh, what I think it's particularly interesting is the opening up 
of the definition of what is considered a nomad, right? You you can actually have a full-time employment and prove that you have income from, from an entity that's not within Malaysia and then that's okay. It's good enough. And then you can pay a fee and then you can come in, right? So so I, I think that is very interesting and uh, possibly a viable option for a lot of Singaporeans, right? Even if you want to stay in Johor long-term, which I don't recommend. <laughs> there are other places, lah. Malaysia got other places. Right, you can try out other places, okay? And we can have that discussion as we go along. Point number two is you can stay up to 12 months plus an option to extend for 12 months and you can even bring your kids and spouse. Yes, much better than other visas. We'll talk a little bit more afterward from our sponsor. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Okay, very simple. Huh? So if you meet the requirement, right? You meet the annual income, 24,000 US dollar a year. All you need to do as the main applicant is you need to pay 1,000 RM to apply. Okay, which I believe if you do that, I don't think it's refundable, right? So I went to the very, very end of the portal. It doesn't look like it's refundable. But yeah, whatever it is, okay, you just make sure you have lah, then you can apply, okay? I believe in the early days, it will be relatively lax, not as stringent. As the policy develop, you know, uh, governments will understand things a little bit better, then they'll start to plug holes, right? Usually that's how policies work. For dependents, that means uh, people that are depending on you, uh, so you come in, you have the 24,000 US dollar, that is your income, you pledge, and then uh, you pay 1,000 for it. For every dependent, whether it's your spouse or your kids, that's 500 RM for the application. Okay, so it's a flat income structure, very simple. As long as somebody makes 24,000 US dollar within the family unit, all the kids, the spouse can come in. Okay, not uncle, auntie, grandparents, I cannot, okay? <laughs> so please, control yourself, don't bring the whole kampong. But in other places like Portugal, what will require within this family unit, that means you want to come in together with your spouse and your kids, is you need to be making more, right? So, I did say about 8.9k euro a year for the main applicant. For every other applicant, you need another 4, 4, 4 plus k euro. Right? So it keeps adding as you have more kids, right? Uh, and also as you have more spouse, but I don't know how many <laughs> I don't know how many spouse you can have. Okay. Uh, I'm not making a judgment here. You do you live your own life, okay? Uh, but yeah, this is this is the idea here. So as long as you meet the income, you can apply like that as a family unit. Your spouse and kids can all come in and you can stay up to 12 months. So it's a one-year situation. And then there's a option to renew for another one year. So I think that gives you relative stability while you test things out and decide if it's for you. Okay, so, so it, it's good. Lah. It's good. So I would say if you're alone or if you are with your spouse, your husband, your wife, whatever, it is much easier, right? Because it's just two of you or just you alone. It's easier to kind of move around. It's okay, very simple. Uh, but when you have kids, ah, that is when the, the biggest question comes in, right? Everybody say, oh, digital nomad, digital nomad. Kids can do this, man. Like, how am I going to like bring my kids around and do this whole thing, right? So don't worry, okay? Don't worry. I know a lot of you have kids or young kids and... 
Enter entertaining this idea requires you to also entertain your kids' education. Tiobo, Tiora, I get it. Huh? So, I did a quick search, okay? I don't know how many of you guys know that SJI, St. Joseph's Institution, yes, the Singapore SJI, actually has an international school here in KL. Okay, here in KL, they are expensive, lah, okay? <laughs> to be clear, school fees is about 60,000 a year. 60,000 RM a year, so about 20,000 Sing a year, lah. Okay, so it's uh, considered expensive, lah, huh? I would say. <laughs> Especially if you have two kids, uh, it's going to be a little bit pricier. I mean, relative to how much you pay in Singapore. But over in KL, there is another very big international school or another prestigious school that has an international branch, which is St. John's International. So St. John's Institution is a very prestigious school in Malaysia. Uh, something like, uh, maybe like a RI kind of situation or like a Victoria High kind of situation, right? So prestigious in the heart of the city. And yeah, for that, the international branch is only charging about fifteen to 18,000 RM, depending on which year your kid is, right? So it's okay, much more palatable, right? International school, uh, let's say it's 15,000 RM, divided by three, that's 5,000 a year. And then you just take it as well, put all the enrichment together inside. That's pretty much an international school thing, right? And then it's okay, it's not too crazy. Uh, but the only issue I have with St. John's is that it's, it's right in the middle of, of the city centre, so the jam is never ending. <laughs> very bad one, the jam, very bad. Okay, but uh, it is what it is. And of course, for a lot of you that are thinking, or oh, maybe I want to position my kid for the China future, and you want to send a kid to like some of the Chinese schools here, which actually in Malaysia still has a very strong Chinese school education system, that's much cheaper, maybe three, four hundred RM a month for locals. I think foreigners, maybe a little bit more. But the idea here is some of the good quality education is not as pricey as how you would think private education is in Singapore. Okay, so it's not crazy. It is possible. Yeah, it's a, it's a potential thing that you can explore even if you have kids, right? So this is the beauty of the Malaysian Digital Nomad Visa situation. One flat income, everybody can come in. There's no variability and uh, education here is okay. Uh, space here is fine. I would say cultural integration is much simpler uh, for fellow Singaporeans that come in. It's not difficult. Like, people will not think you're you're weird or like you're out of place. Right? Maybe the Chinese people will wonder where's your accent coming from. That's about it. Okay? So that is point number two, which brings me to point number three, and that is the Malaysian property rental is open to all. Okay? As you can tell, point number three is one of the points that uh, I don't need to put in this episode. <laughs> Because I pretty much sum up the visa thing already. Income, proof of income, and then like what can you get out of the income, right? And and the visa within this space. <laughs> so so I have to squeeze a third point. Lah. So I, I would believe, I would believe that if you're looking to stay here in Malaysia, rental is gonna be your concern, right? Food, all these things, not as difficult, lah, right? It's it's not difficult. Right. So Malaysia rental is open to all. Okay, I would say it's open to all. Uh, there isn't really strict kind of property rental arrangement to say that, oh, you must prove that you have a visa here, that you must prove that you have a work arrangement here. No, you don't really need to. As long as your landlord is happy to lease it to you, and that's it. Pretty much that's it, right? So one cultural practice here is still, they will ask you, what's your race? You know, uh, where do you come from? Because you're a foreigner, like where do you come from? And all that, right? So uh, don't need to take it 
too much to heart because this is just how uh, the country is, the state of the country. Um, yeah, they, they, to them, this is important depending on what race you are, where you come from. They use that as low-hanging bar- barometers to determine whether they want to lease it to you. Lah, right? So, uh, yeah, lah, we don't want to get into the cultural and the racial and, and all those kind of discussions. But this is just the reality. Okay, I'm here to report the reality, not to make a moral judgment. Huh? And for rental of uh, property, residential property, what usually happens is a two plus one plus half. Okay, so if you do a simple search, uh, whether you want to stay in the heart of KL or you want to stay in Subang or you want to stay in Putrong or even you want to stay in Malacca or wherever, Property Guru can pretty much give you the numbers, right? A, a lot of these websites, aggregators will show you the general numbers of like, okay, how much does it cost to stay in this area? But when you rent the place, uh, usually what the landlord will want you to do is two plus one. That means two month deposit and one month first month rental and then plus another half month utilities deposit. Okay, so this is how it works. Huh? So it's a three and a half upfront payment. Huh? And then pretty much you can stay for one year and uh, up to two years if you want to. Right? If you want to rent three years, I'm sure you can even negotiate a better rate. Alright, so... It is very easy. I've done this twice. It's not my first time renting a property in Malaysia. I shifted from one development to another development and it's pretty smooth, right? They don't really ask me much. I just need to, partly because I think I'm from Singapore and I'm Chinese, right? So it, on some level, there's some sort of privileged association. So my landlords, they never ask me much. Uh, yeah, I just pay the rent and, and life carries on. Pretty much that's the idea. Uh, the only thing that you may struggle a little bit with is the banking system, right? Because you may not have a local banking card. But these days, I think there are a lot of other international payment cards that could help you with this. It's not that big a problem. So yeah, I hope uh, I answered most of your concerns and your questions when you're thinking about like digital nomading in Malaysia, which I highly recommend don't do in KL. Uh. Don't, 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 don't do in the heart of KL. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Join me in my, <laughs> join me in my course to try to become the Subang mayor, right? Or, or I would recommend you, maybe you can do Ipoh, maybe you can do Malacca, you know, or even Penang, and try other places um, that are a little bit more laid back. I think Singaporeans need a little bit of that and you can continue to do your work, right? So with all that, I'm going to sum up the three pointers I have for the Malaysian Digital Nomad Visa episode. Number one is you need to get annual income of more than 24,000 US dollars. So that's about 2.8,000 SGD a month, which on some level is quite expensive for digital nomads, especially when you compare to other hotspot digital nomad spaces. But I understand why Malaysia does it because I, I really think Malaysia is not as desperate to bring in digital nomads. They want to bring in people that can uh, actually make, make a little bit more. It's very simple. You just need to share with them your contract, 
or the different contracts that you have to prove that you actually have the ability to make this money and then that's it, right? You wait for the application to be processed. Point number two is with this, if you pass the income threshold and you pass all the clearance and all that, you can stay up to 12 months plus uh, option to extend for another 12 months. And you can even bring your kids and spouse. In other words, you don't need, there's no variability in terms of income. It's not like you bring another person in, you're going to make more unlike other places. Uh, it's very simple. You just pay a little bit more for registration and yeah, voila. And I would say uh, private education here is not as expensive as what a lot of people will associate or at least a lot of Singaporeans will associate. Wow, international school are very expensive. Yeah, SJI coming are very expensive. <laughs> They're coming to make money but there are many other options. Whether it's Chinese schools or the local international schools, uh, they are relatively affordable somewhere in the 15,000, kind of you know, a month, a year kind of situation. So it's, it's not crazy. It is palatable. Uh, if you include all the tuition, you send your kids. It's about the same already, right? So it is possible. Point number three is that Malaysia property rental market is open to all. Everybody can stay. Everybody can do your thing, right? Just three plus, uh, two plus one plus half. That's usually the upfront cost. And uh, yeah, don't, don't be taken aback by the cultural situation here. Uh, sometimes they do ask you about race and where you come from. Okay. With that, I hope you learned something useful today. See ya. Hey, I hope you learned something useful today and truly appreciate that you took time off to better your life with the financial coconut. Knowledge is that much more powerful and interesting when shared, debated and discussed. Join our community's Telegram group, share this on your social, sign up for our newsletter. Most importantly, you're going to sign up for our YouTube channel, alright? So we're going to create video native content. We're going to try to like enter the video space. So yeah, follow our YouTube, like, share, subscribe and all that, right? Help us grow, help us take this, take this whole network to the next level. Don't worry, I will not forget you. I love podcasts. I'm like an avid audio fan. So podcasts will always be around. Just trying to do some video stuff so that, you know, we can make more money to continue to create good content. So yeah, like, share, subscribe. We'll see you next week. Okay, so we are good with um, today's episode. I hope you find it interesting because uh, I definitely enjoy um, the idea that, oh, wow, there's something going on, you know, with this whole Malaysia digital nomad thing. And yeah, let me know if you like this. If you don't, uh, yeah, we'll we'll keep covering more and more of these kind of stuff as we develop the show, right? I am a big fan. So if you are one of them, let me know. But next week, next week, we're going to take uh, a little bit of a turn to talk a little bit about fire, right? Because I think a lot of digital nomads are like huge on fire. And I know fire is like again and again and again. People talk about it like Beixian, right? Like, aren't you bored of this whole like fire discussion? Apparently, it's not. People are not bored of retiring. They can't wait to get out of this, right? So I'm going to do one episode to consolidate uh, my biggest advice for people that are trying to go along this fire movement, okay? And, and I'm not going to give you advice on like how to cut your spending, like increase your increase your investments. All those things are like, you know, you hear them all the time. It's always there. There's no real need for me to develop that further. Uh, but I want to have a little bit of a more nuanced ideas around like fire. Like, you know, can you truly be independent? What are you really giving up on this pursuit of fire? And, and you know, things like that. A little bit more nuance, a bit more complicated. Uh, not with the goal of trying to tell you not to, but we're trying to this try to give all of us a bit more clarity on like, if I pursue this, what am I giving up on? I think that is the lack of discussion in the space, right? Because a lot of people that are leading the drive of fire uh, have a general disdain for their current lives. And I get it. That's why 
fire is a thing, right? But but I know for a lot of us that are on the fence, just thinking about, oh, maybe we can uh, fire a little bit faster, you know, so that we can do more. Uh, maybe that view is not the full view, right? So we'll see you next week.